1: that's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18
1: plus. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away. It was free. freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of
2: enterprise and freedom is special and red.
1: This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com. Going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. An immovable
3: object and an unstoppable force. What happens when two worlds, in this case, the legislative and executive, collide? What are the symptoms of Bidenomics? And its political persecution distinctly un-American? All this and more on today's show. Welcome to Liberty Nation Radio. Here on the Radio America Network, I'm your host, Mark Angelides. Today we examine the state of the GOP House, the state of the Union, the state of the economy, and political persecution. That's a lot of states. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American Constitution. With the House of Representatives firmly in the grip of the Republican Party, President Biden has a unique opportunity to demonstrate that long-promised unity he assured America would be the hallmark of his terms in office or term. Uh, But what if it's all just bluster? we're joined by liberty nation's senior political analyst and long-time host of this here radio show tim Donner, to figure out what is the present relationship between the legislative and the executive during the time of joe biden thanks for being here tim always a pleasure mark so tell me the the gop they have a slim majority but it is still clearly a majority Uh, are we going to see joe biden working hand in hand with the lower chamber or was this all just sweet whispered words of a, a pillow talk inauguration Uh, for an expectant public
2: Joe Biden will promote unity to the extent that it benefits his efforts at reelection I think that's the answer because it didn't serve his purposes to be bipartisan the last two years where he had the trifecta control of the House and Senate as well as the White House um didn't serve as purposes. Then it will serve as purposes. Now, I suspect particularly on this, um, the debt limit issue that he's going to, he's going to attempt to demagogue the issue as saying that Republicans want onerous spending cuts that will destroy people's lives. And the Republicans will counter by saying that, you know, We're on the edge of fiscal doom, shall we say, with a $32 trillion debt limit that goes up by hundreds of millions of dollars every single week, unabated. So, you know, this is a dance that we've seen in Washington before, where the establishment understandably says we have to pay our bills. We cannot be... You know, we can't default because it will ruin our credit standing and all the cascading consequences from that. Um, So we have to pay our bills at any cost, which then thwarts the idea that you can put any kind of limits on spending. Mm. And I'm talking about for both parties. But in terms of overall bipartisanship, um, I think there are some areas where there could actually be some agreement on some things. Probably international issues more than anything else. But again, everything needs to be looked at through the lens of, does it benefit Joe Biden's re-election campaign? Uh,
3: so does that mean that the Republicans are not going to get anything, in your opinion, domestically for their base or what they perceive that their base wants?
2: Virtually nothing. Nothing. What they've gotten is an open amendment process demanded by the most conservative of Republicans as a pretext for their vote for Kevin McCarthy, famously first Speaker of the House. But it's benefiting a lot of left-wing Democrats, too. Even Ilhan Omar, uh, Ilhan Omar saying that She's excited at the amendment process, particularly in one bill where there were like over 50 amendments offered because of the open process. So uh, McCarthy has sort of unwittingly benefited the Democrats by doing that. But the other side of Biden, the advantage that he has that he didn't have the last two years is that he can blame the Republican house for everything because you can't he's not going to blame his own party over the last two years but now that republicans have the house he's going to blame them for stonewalling he's going to blame them for shutting down you know terrific progressive ideas that would otherwise pass this sort of thing so it'll be a mexican standoff if you're allowed to say that anymore uh between the president and mccarthy and i think these talks about the debt limit or, or nothing more than a stare down and a game of chicken to see, you know, who relinquishes their control first.
3: It's interesting that you uh, use the term the Mexican standoff there, which I do believe is still uh, acceptable in in most circles, uh, because I, I kind of envisioned it, uh, the situation with Kevin McCarthy. I don't know if you've seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid written by yes. the great author and screenwriter uh, William Goldman starring Robert Redford and Paul Newman in the very last scene where the Bolivian army is surrounding them and they have this uh, unique positivity of uh, what about Australia and then they come out guns blazing and obviously we know what happens to them and it seems to me that uh, Kevin McCarthy and his uh, merry band of Republicans are pretty much in that situation because all they've really got going forward into november 2024 it's to create a kind of a gop persona uh, that his party can present to the public and that persona can either be uh the 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 happy obstructionist uh, persona or principled but doomed i'm not sure what do you make of that idea
2: well i think because of the fact that you've got different parties controlling the house and senate We can stipulate that virtually nothing's going to get done legislatively, which means the focus is going to be pretty much on the presidential race, Uh, whether Biden's going to run again. Uh, Apparently, Nikki Haley is now ready to announce her candidacy for the Republican nomination. Ron DeSantis seems sure to follow probably Mike Pompeo, probably Mike Pence and some others. And I think that persona that you're talking about is going to largely be established by uh, who ends up on the top of the ticket in 2024, but... Uh, the presidential candidate, but I think that DeSantis, whether it's DeSantis or Trump, we're still talking about a MAGA-dominated Republican Party, and they, the MAGA, the MAGA portion of the Republican caucus certainly flexed their muscles during the speakership election process uh, so that's going to largely define the party i think and the contrast will be as clear in 24 as it was in 20
3: okay i i think part of this uh the fact that as we both agree that the Republicans really aren't going to be able to get very much done during this period it's a obstructionism or nothing um, and this really does uh i, th- I think show how divided that the nation is uh, with its two parties. And when the founders set this whole thing up, did they anticipate such uh, battles between the branches or between members within Congress?
2: I think they did. I think they definitely did and they saw it as a feature not a bug because what they envisioned was a long deliberative process for any kind of major legislative change or any change to the law anything that was a significant public policy uh, change or introduction of a new public policy would necessarily need to have very broad consensus Uh, In the House, the Senate, and among the states, so that unlike what the progressives think, where they want to just rush through anything, that's sort of the new issue of the day. Uh, The point of the constitutional structure is to make major change very deliberative and reliant on very broad consensus.
3: Some would say in a conservative manner, Tim.
2: (laughs) Well, that, I mean, the, the, for example, the Supreme Court, the uh, con- so-called conservative uh, justices are actually constitutionalists mm. as opposed to progressives who want to read things into the Constitution rather than read what the Constitution actually says.
3: Okay, we're talking with Tim Donner on the House GOP. After this short break, we'll be right back with Tim asking if America is on the wrong track. Don't go
1: anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty
3: liberty nation with mark angelides and we're back with liberty nations senior political analyst mr tim donner now earlier in the show we discussed how the house is faring under its new leadership but next up i want to dig into the current state of play for america especially with the president's state of the union address coming up this week now tim first of all how are you doing and perhaps slightly more importantly how is america doing
2: Well, I don't think almost any objective and it's harder to find objective analysts these days than ever before. I don't think anybody can say that life is better now than it was in 2019, which was the last time we had normalcy in the before days pre-pandemic. So comparing then to now, I mean, we were on a we had a roaring economy. Jobs were plentiful, more than could be filled, which is true now, but for different reasons. Uh, and there was a sense of dynamism in the economy during the Trump era. You don't have that now. And people feel it. They feel inflation, even though it's fallen a bit. They they see the price of eggs, for example, and that mm-hmm. is probably emblematic of these low Uh, right direction, wrong direction numbers. The uh, overwhelming majority of what's it's over 70% now believe we're on the wrong track. At the same time, Mark, I have to say I don't remember the last time a majority of Americans said we were on the right track. I really don't. I mean, I think it might have been during the Reagan era. But since then, the country's always... Uh, been on the wrong track according to a majority of Americans it's only a matter of whether it's you know 30 percent or 40 percent think we're on the right track as opposed to the wrong track it seems
3: yeah it's it's down to 28 percent now which uh, I believe right. it 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 flirted around the 29 30 31 for a few months but it, we're back to where we were in November now um and it seems this obviously includes a whole lot of Democrats. But uh, another interesting poll I came across was a Gallup survey on the most important issues facing Americans. And this this is always one of my favorite polls of the year. Uh, coming in, number one with a bullet was poor leadership, usurping last year's top issues of uh, inflation in the economy. Now, could it be that folks now see the economic issues they experience as an extension of the leadership that now they're just recognizing could be responsible for those said issues does that make any sense at all
2: well i think that you can ascribe a number of character characteristics to joe biden but leadership would not be one of them and i think most people would agree with that he he came to office as a placeholder he basically said he would be a placeholder to get Trump out and then set the stage for younger Democrats uh, to take hold of the nomination. I think he's rethought that, of course, because once you have the power of the Oval Mm. Office, it's very difficult to give it up unless you really want to. Like for example, Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1968, he'd had it. He was done. There was no way that he could handle being in the Oval Office anymore. You now, there's a lot of people that think that Joe Biden can't handle being in the Oval Office, that he hasn't been able to from the beginning. I mean, there's not a single event, honestly, uh, Mark, that Joe Biden speaks at where he doesn't make some embarrassing Gaff uh or tell some falsehood that he told before that has already been outed as false, but he tells it anyway. Um look, the guy is not seen as a leader. He's seen simply as the guy who was able to take down Trump. And for Democrats, that's a huge feather in his cap. But yep. the I think the the basically right now, the uh identity of joe biden is different because he's an incumbent and it may well be someone other than trump who gets a nomination for the republicans in 24
3: yeah i I think part of uh pitching himself for 2024 will take place during his upcoming state of the union address uh i mean this is a great opportunity because he has had a recent win he's had the the midterms which weren't anywhere near as bad as just about everybody anticipated. Um, and that, I mean, that's in the wind column for him. There's no doubt about it. So I think using that momentum, and let's be fair, momentum is a burst of momentum a few and far between for President Joe Biden. I think he's going to use his address to frame himself for 2024 based on the midterms. What do you think is going to go into that?
2: Well, you know, the 2020. 2020- Two elections were actually more similar to 2020 than people think because the shadow of Trump was still hanging over the Republican Party for better or worse. And you had probably at least a dozen congressional candidates who were basically received the nomination exclusively because they were handpicked by Trump, who wound up losing in seats that could have been won. They were part of the formulation of the 20 to 30 seats most people expected the Republicans to pick up. So the question is how Joe Biden can do without the shadow of Trump over him, which may or may not be true in 2024. It's hard to see Trump just going away quietly, even if he doesn't get the nomination. And if he does, uh, Biden will simply make the case, look, I beat him once, I'll beat him again. And then the formula becomes exactly the same for Biden, which is, of course, he's not a leader, but he's a guy, perhaps the guy, who can beat trump because he's already proven he can
3: you know i i i rarely disagree with your analysis tim but i am going to uh, on this one occasion please do i I don't think it was solely joe biden being the right man for that particular job the job obviously being to to remove donald trump from office it was a combination of covid and joe biden and i
2: agree I agree. Oh, there we go. We're back. On. No, <laughs> we agree. I agree.
3: Uh, and he doesn't have COVID anymore. Like, the he, trouble may, is, he may have COVID. I hope not. But he, he the trouble is
2: that. you the trouble is you cannot freeze March 2020 in time and say that Trump definitely would have won if the pandemic didn't hit. I think a lot of us believe that's true. I believe that's true. But. Uh, that the pandemic basically crushed him. I think the violence across cities, across the country also was crippling to him, even though it should have been so detrimental to the left. It was a sense of chaos that was created. So I don't disagree, but and I'm not saying that Biden is a better candidate than trump per se what i'm saying is given all the circumstances he did he was declared the winner of that election so he can rightly claim to his party and to the anti-trump forces across the nation that he beat him once if i was him if i were him that's the subjunctive (laughs) um I would definitely play that card because that's the best card he has. He can't do it on his leadership. He can't do it. He could try to do it on his legislative record, but a lot of that stuff is far left in budget busting. So his best uh, argument seems to me is that he can do again what he's already done once. Tim Donner, thanks ever so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Mark. Freedom. freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare.
1: This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides.
3: The presidency of Joe Biden and with him elected Democrats across the nation appear to be enthralled to a progressive new method of spending taxpayer funds. This is Bidenomics. Uh, What are the tenets of this uh, ideology, the pitfalls, and are there any advantages from an economic standpoint? Well, we're joined by economist and author Andrew Moran to pass the facts from The Spin. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, it seems that uh, inflation is easing somewhat and gas prices are stabilizing, albeit at twice what they were when Biden took office, stabilizing high, let's say. Isn't this due to Biden's economic policies?
0: Well, not necessarily. I mean, if you look at the re- if if, if we use gas prices as an example, the White House came came out with a fact sheet a few months ago that said that, you know, uh, depleting the strategic petroleum, petroleum reserves by 40% only saved American taxpayers up to 40 cents uh, at the gas pump. So, not necessarily. Uh, when it comes to inflation, again, not because of Bidenomics. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act was only was only became effective January 1st. A lot of things aren't even going to happen until the irs you know issue issues its approval um mostly the inflation coming down is due to a couple of things the federal reserve raising interest rates that's traveling through the system and two killing demand for a lot of goods and services that were you know contributing to inflation so no overall i mean i mean i, I, I like I, I, you guys discussed this before i mean i can't really blame biden for taking credit for inflation coming down because he was primarily blamed for inflation going up even though it was a multitude of factors like the federal reserve and you know the
3: american
0: rescue plan all those things
3: yeah you you kind of really can't take the credit for bringing inflation down and bringing gas prices down unless you take the blame for pushing them up through your policies in the first place so can you define bidenomics for me
0: well, I, I guess one doctrine, as I recently wrote on the Nation, was reward work, not wealth. Mm. I think that's one tenet of, of Bidenomics. Another one is probably only the government can intervene and save the economy. The government is your master. You know, uh, all, the government is, is, is the best investor in the economy. So perhaps all those tenets uh, can define the Biden economic doctrine.
3: Well, let's talk about uh, reward work, not wealth. Now you wrote uh, an article on this for Liberty Nation very recently uh, and how the Biden administration plans to reward one, but not the other. I'm sure you can guess which one. Uh, Now this strikes me as a, a troublesome way to look at things. What's your analysis?
0: Yeah, I, I've heard this phrase many times over the last couple of years. I don't know why I didn't touch upon it before, but so I recently did. And it's, yeah, it's frustrating because they, they go hand in hand. When you work and you work hard enough and you build your human capital, you develop wealth. But work happens because of wealth. If I'm a wealthy mm. person, I, I'll invest in a factory. I'll invest in a new company. I'll invest in hiring people. And that, of course, will produce work. I mean, this whole idea, I guess it comes from the, the idea that the government is, is the true provider of, of, of wealth generation. By thinking that you can just dig ditches and that's going to create wealth and that that's real work, but it's just, it's a Marxian idea, or perhaps even as I said in my in my in my article, that it's a care bears economics whereby yay we're all being celebrated for for work, but those evil billionaires are going to be penalized through the through the, through the tool of the state. But it's nonsense. Billionaires provide the work, and people who work can can, can accumulate wealth. They're not mutually exclusive.
3: Yeah, it, it seems that there is a, a bit of a, a disconnect between the understanding that what you have is you you work and then through your work you create wealth and in an ideal world that wealth will then create more wealth for you that there used to be a a saying that i'm sure has has not been uttered through anybody's lips for a good 50 years or so but uh when you're in your 20s you make your money with your hands when you're in your 30s make money with your money
0: yeah, I agree. And but what's funny too about this is that what's the what's the one entity that destroys wealth and that and actually has proven the last couple of years to destroy work?
3: It's the government I, I'm not sure, but does it live in a particularly large Pale House uh, in sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs>
0: it's 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 true, you know, and and the Federal Reserve too. I mean, you can see also the Eccles Building is is the chief destroyer of wealth through its you know through through the inflation tax, destroying your purchasing power. And then work has been deterred too, because the last couple of years, when uh, Bidenomics or excuse me, President Biden, when he's sweetened the unemployment benefits, that deterred a lot of people from going back to work. You you, you still you, mean you still have this labor shortage going on today. So the, the government has what has actually penalize both work and wealth
3: so i find that comical when you start diving deeper into it well at least they're doing it fairly right penalizing everybody across the board now doesn't this just encourage people not to save though and eventually won't that and i'm not sure if i'm phrasing this right but create a, a society where living paycheck to paycheck becomes the done thing Now, I know a lot of people do that anyway, um, but it's not a situation that anybody really wants to be in. But if we're penalizing wealth, isn't that what's going to happen?
0: Well, I mean, look at the data. I mean, people are hardly saving as it is now. The last number I think from the Bureau of Economic Analysis was two point nine percent, and that's that's historically low. That's even that's even lower than it was, you know, freaking twenty five years ago. It's 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 mind numbing to me how how little people are saving. But I always think of a great Milton. There was a I think it's either in the Free to Choose book or in this Free to Choose documentary where Milton Friedman was discussing how you can't really fault people for not saving due to two things: one, inflation. To artificially low interest rates because if I if I deposit my five hundred or thousand dollars into the bank, I get you know pennies on the dollar. I mm-hmm. get pennies, a few pennies a month in for, for interest. Why would I want to uh, save that money when I could just go out, you know? Protect my protect the wealth I have, the capital I have now. you Take advantage of the purchasing power now and just buy stuff. I think that's actually part of the uh, time preference uh, theory. That's
3: uh, I think so. what what you mean by the time preference theory there. Uh, just for our listeners, is, is that the idea that, uh, for example, with inflation running at say five percent, just for example, if you ha- if you buy a thousand dollars worth of goods now rather than saving it and, and earning let's say a dollar over the period of a year, you'll actually be saving four percent because if you buy that same thing next year uh it will actually cost more because of the inflationary measure is that right yes yeah. Yeah, hey i have learned something by paying <laughs> and if attention you buy, to the- if you buy those funko
0: pop dolls that's an appreciating asset too
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right andrew there's another topic i want to talk about it's slightly off Bidenomics, but perhaps it does tie in somewhat now there's a lot of talk about uh redoing the whole tax system and there's people talking about the fair tax act and there's uh, people in washington talking about getting rid of income tax entirely and then just having a sales tax tell me the details
0: so the Republicans, House of Republicans, recently proposed legislation to get rid of all, pretty much all federal taxes, gift taxes, income taxes, state taxes, payroll taxes, and in, in its favor, they want to impose a, a 23 to 30 percent national sales tax. Now, on the one hand, I mean, and, and the and the Biden administration, Democrats are just you know they're they're focusing mainly on how Republicans want to raise the sales tax and get rid of the
3: income ta- Sorry to tax. Sorry to interrupt, Andrew. I have seen that a lot on the social media with notable Democrats, high-ranking Democrats, saying. They want to increase uh, what, you know, they want to put a 30% tax on you um without mentioning and not a single one of them mentions whilst removing your income tax.
0: And what's funny too, is how they, how, how they analyze the situation. So they're saying, oh, the Republicans, they want to get rid of the income tax and raise the, the and give, impose a national sales tax because they want to, they want to help the wealthy. But there's two things about that. If I'm a billionaire, I'm not earning my my money through uh, getting a steady paycheck. I'm earning mm. my money through investment and 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 stock and and equity and all that stuff. And two, the rich are the ones who would pay more of the national sales tax because they're the ones who are buying the yachts, they want to buy the boat, the expansion mansions, all those things. So that that's mind numbing to me. But at the same time, I'm against a national sales tax because, as Murray Rothbard said, that's a, that's a tax on living. You know, if I want to go out and buy buy a loaf of bread or you know rent an apartment. Whatever the case, I'm taxed for that, so I'm taxed from going in my day to day life. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly in favor of abolishing income taxes, abolishing estate taxes, gift taxes, all those things. I mean, though that that that's a completely beneficial idea. But a sales tax,
3: no. So Andrew, uh, let's rate Bidenomics here. Does it get an A plus, an A minus, an F minus, a Z?
0: And <laughs> any pretty much any economic doctrine that depends on government gets an F from me. You know, there's there's been really anything good coming out of this administration economic economics-wise. So yeah, I have to give it an F. Sorry, sorry,
3: President Biden. That's an F from Andrew Moran. And we're talking with Andrew on the tenets of Bidenomics. Up next after this short break, we're talking Liberty with Scott D. Casenza. And there's no end in sight for the troubles for Christian Bakers. Don't touch that dial.
1: freedom and your liberty liberty nation with mark angelides with political persecutions heading
3: through the courts it seems the legal world is in the grip of contrariness now are there any protections from political persecution in the united states well this is just one of the questions that will hopefully be answered after speaking with our special talking liberty segment legal affairs editor and host of the uprising podcast mr scott d casenza welcome back to the show scott cheers mark thank you for having me once again so Scott, let's talk about a certain Mr. Phillips who made headlines uh, it's a few years ago now for refusing to bake a cake celebrating gay marriage. Now it seems that uh, even after the resolution of that case, folks want to see him spend the rest of his days in court. What's happening now for Mr. Phillips?
4: It's a it's a war uh, by the woke against Mr. Phillips. He just wishes to be able to control who he bakes and decorates cakes for and The woke left, progressive left will not let him, Mark. The original Masterpiece Cake Shop case, Mark, was ruled on in 2018, but the Supreme Court didn't rule on the question they agreed to take the case to resolve. That question was notably, did Mr. Phillips' free speech rights and his free expression rights under the First Amendment protect his right to decline to bake a cake for a same-sex couple? Uh, Instead of ruling on the case, they discovered that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was so openly hostile to religious expression generally that they needn't reach the ultimate issue. This commission was so bad for anybody religious, including Mr. Phillips, they were just going to basically grant him relief. The problem is for the rest of Americans and for Mr. Phillips moving forward, that doesn't resolve the core question, which is, can a person refuse this type of service essentially what happened
3: was the the supreme court failed to issue a, what what you'd call a bright line ruling
4: uh, they didn't and, issue any ruling in on the well, <laughs> on the facts in other words to address the matter that they again they decide which question is to be resolved when they take sure. a case right people apply to the supreme court they say please take my case and resolve x y or z the supreme court says okay we'll take your case and here's the question we aim to resolve with with our taking of the case and they haven't done it then they took this other case mark for the during the current term this is the 303 creative case and this is about whether or not a woman uh, is allowed to advertise her wedding website company and disclose during in those advertisements that she doesn't wish to uh, take either uh, uh, trans clients or uh, same sex couples as clients. But the thing is, when the Supreme Court agreed to take this case, Mark, they left out the free exercise question. So they said, we're going to take the case to decide whether or not this is a violation of your right to free expression, but not whether it is incorporated in the free exercise protections. In other words, the right to worship one's religion as one sees fit. And of course, because uh,
3: again, they seem to be ducking the original question uh, for Mr. Phillips. On the very day that the supreme court jettisoned his case without an answer he received a, a very particular order at his cake shop didn't
4: he scott well actually it was the day they agreed to take the case <sighs> in the first place mark the, right. the day they agreed to take the case uh not not you know willing to 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 kind of like let the process uh, play out autumn scaradino i believe her her name is is a trans lawyer activist who is one of these people who's not going to let uh mr phillips rest and and decorate cakes for whom he wants a true cry bully uh having you know already won all these these legal rights uh they want to punish people who you know it's sort of like a re-education uh camp sort of situation right he's not allowed to think the things that he he thinks which is again that he doesn't wish to use his baking powers to celebrate unholy in his mind uh you know events by the way this is a guy mark who does not do like halloween treats at his uh, bakery because of his religious observance so now let's be very let's be very clear on this scott the this
3: was not just a coincidence that scarabino oh no happened to call that baker it was purposely designed because Mr. Phillips was going through the Supreme Court trial and they wanted to
4: for pile first, on. <laughs> for the first cake, Mark, it was an accident that the yes. two customers became activists, okay? They yeah. actually just wanted a cake. But Scarardino did not just want a cake. They wanted to be refused uh, mm. the production of a cake for the purpose of then using uh, the refusal to punish and go after uh, uh, Mr. Phillips. Now, the Colorado's courts have once again ruled against him. I suspect that this is going to go up uh, through, you know, through the federal courts then and, and perhaps again to the Supreme Court because we don't have that, uh, that ruling that they could have made um, and some of us think perhaps should have made in the original Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling.
3: So uh, would you class this as, as, as a lawyer yourself, Scott, would you class this as a, a good faith Argument designed to test the the legality of the First Amendment, or is it? Does it seem more uh not good faith? As in, it's a, it's a personal piece of bullying. I mean, that's what it seems to me as a non-lawyer. It seems that you know somebody's using the courts for their own glorification
4: and for the the personal punishment of somebody who disagrees with them. And I think the, it's hard to be a victim. So if So the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and Colorado law has established that people are victims if they are uh, attempting to purchase goods or services and can't because of their immutable characteristics. And that's what this is about. But if you don't actually wish to purchase the cake, Mark, if the call that you made to order the cake was designed to to have this burlesque play out, like that you really wanted a cake and you didn't want... You know, the best thing that, that ever happened was this person's cake order was refused. They, they, they didn't want uh, a cake. They wanted the refusal. And so for that reason, it does seem a bit, uh, a bit manufactured, uh, although I, I hate to give anybody an idea that that might be a reason to dismiss the case, because once again, I think that we need a ruling on this issue, whether, uh, you know, it, it, it involves, Mark, what constitutes speech and where the line with, with commerce and religion kind of meet and diverge. So, uh, you know, if it weren't a commercial activity, we probably wouldn't have these questions arise, but it is. But you can think of all sorts of manners where um, if somebody offers like uh, song composing services for, uh, uh, you know, a, a YouTube style video, would they do that for somebody who has a message that they, you know, mm. they abhor? You know, there's all kinds of little things that we can invent to, to think of ways this, this would actually pop up and people, creators want to know. You see, the, the way I, I kind of envision this, and obviously everybody who listens
3: to Talking Liberty knows that I'm not the legal half of this team, Scott, but the way I, I kind of view this in terms of where do I think it's right, where do I think it's wrong, because we all make these, these uh, judgments to ourselves, um, is if, uh, if somebody asked a, a, a black baker to make a cake celebrating their plan rally would the colorado courts have insisted that the baker make the cake
4: you know we actually have a case in the record i'm going to change the facts just a little bit mark because this is actually part of the record of the uh the colorado appeals court which is there are they went around to a couple bakers and asked them to put on anti-homosexual messages from the Bible, I can't remember if it's like Leviticus or Deuteronomy or whatever, but there are some explicitly anti-gay uh, uh, quotes that are available. Uh, and they didn't, you know, they did a number of refusals took place where Baker said, "I'm not going to, you know, write that on a cake." And then they say, "Well, why can't, uh, why can't we go against those bakers?" And the answer is because they said they wouldn't write that on any cake. And I just if we tease that out for a second. Jack Phillips says, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, that he will bake a cake with a pink inside and blue icing if the celebration or event or occasion is not one that he disagrees with. So, if for instance, you know, there was a person whose two favorite colors were pink and blue and they just decided they wanted a cake because, you know, that was the only reason, uh, Jack Phillips says he would make that cake. But the idea is that the, 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 the black baker, for instance, in your hypothetical, would not ever make a cake celebrating uh, a Ku Klux Klan rally. It doesn't matter what the sort of quote unquote like celebration of a purpose of it was. They just wouldn't do that thing. So that's how the court has wrestled with with that question.
3: So what we're looking for then, Scott, is a bright line ruling one way or the other from the Supreme Court. Do you think they will give it this time?
4: Absolutely not. They will crush our dreams for these, uh, this kind of clear <laughs> clear rulemaking, Mark, and uh, break our hearts, as they have done so many no, times before.
3: No clear thinking from the Supreme Court. You heard it first from Scott D. Cassenza. Scott, thanks ever so much for joining
4: us. Thank you, Mark.
3: And that's about all we have time for on this week's episode of Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'd like to thank our guests, Tim Donner, Andrew Moran, and Scott D. Casenza, and, of course, you, the listeners at home, for tuning in. My parting shot for this week, I'd like to remind you of the words of John Stuart Mill, who said, quote, The idea that truth always triumphs over persecution is one of those pleasant falsehoods, which most experience refutes. History is teeming with instances of truth put down by persecution. If not put down forever, it may be set back for centuries, end quote. And just because someone is persecuted, it doesn't mean they'll eventually be righteously vindicated. And that's something we all need to remember. Sometimes justice doesn't prevail. And that... Well, that that might be the story of modern America.
4: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do
0: when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?